Thanks to you, our listeners, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio is growing and is now available on more stations such as Facebook Video, Player.fm, iTunes, Verbal, and now on Amazon Audible. KRBN Internet News Talk Radio currently does not receive any funding to bring you these programs. However, we do ask that you hit that like button and tell your friends to help this station grow. And thank you again for your support. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. We're going in hot, so be ready. Ready when you are. Okay, we are live, so go for it. And... Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bo's Nose Show. Sorry for the delay in getting started, but there's nothing like having a modem reset itself two minutes before showtime, <laughs> like Robin's modem did. Uh, so this is my weekly show uh, where I invite people to call in and have a conversation and we call it the Bose Nose Show because I'm Jay Bozovich, and I've got a nose. I also nose things. But um, we are, you know, coming to you live every Wednesday here at 4 o'clock, uh, KPNW, uh, not KPNW, <laughs> KRPN, News Talk Radio through Blog Talk. So you have an opportunity to talk to your commissioner when you want to. Um, and... Yeah, today's kind of a special show because it was one year ago yesterday that the Holiday Farm fire, the Beachy Creek, uh, and multiple other fires uh, in Oregon started in that horrible east wind event, that one in 100 year uh, weather event. Um, and uh, was really a, a tough tough time uh and live my modem reset right on the beginning of the show you're online live robin coming through both sorry about that you know as you can tell it all hell broke loose with the modem thing and but that's minor compared to the hell that broke loose a year ago and it was the next day really when we started understanding just the magnitude of what happened i mean it was such confusion you know, the fires started after, you know, just after dark, basically, when the winds picked up, um, you know, evacuations going on, communications going down. I mean, I posted a video today uh, from a year ago that I got that was from the uh, security camera at 
one of our radio towers out in the Holiday Farm fire area and the fire overtaking that tower area. Obviously, once it did and the propane tanks exploded, we no longer had radio communications in that area upriver. Um, so very sketchy communications and all that. You know, people were having to basically act on their own. We had deputies um, basically helping evacuate people and notifying people to get the hell out. Um, without being able to communicate with headquarters, kind of out on their own out there. Um, you know, we had the the chief of the fire department up up river up there, um, Chief Rainbow, um, out there going around and notifying, helping people evacuate when our own home was burning down. So it was just an incredible event, and it really didn't dawn on us how much damage there was the next day. But I want to pause on that real quick because I've got a call in from Juanica, um, which relates to another event that we're coming up on our anniversary, which is the, the 20th anniversary of the attacks on September 11th. Um, and Juanica, I think you've got a memorial ride that's coming up that you want to tell us about. Uh, yeah. Yes, there's um – going to be a, a memorial ride. Um, this is uh, for 9-11 for, uh, to show appreciation for all first responders and military um, and also to a memorial for all those who lost their life um, on 9-11. And this is going to be, um, it originally was going to be a ride into Salem to um, Oregon State University to uh, the DPSST facility and tour the memorial there. But because of COVID, the uh, campus is closed now to um, to all to everyone who's not going there. So so we've had to change it a little bit. And I'm not sure on the complete details, but the ride is going to be um, through several of the um, smaller towns surrounding the area. It's going to start in Eugene and end up back in Eugene. And um, all first responders and military personnel and their families are welcome. It's, this is also going to be a barbecue, and it is free to the families, free to all the, these um, responders and military, current and retired. And um, it's kid-friendly. There's going to be some activities. And um, there will also be some um, uh, military um, goals and um, first responder vehicles and stuff on display for, you know, the kids and everything to look at. And, and uh, it's uh, going to be a, a little bit of a ceremony memorializing and remembering those lost. Um, and that will be at 6, 6 p.m., the whole event starts at 12 noon, and so it is going to. Yeah, the ride is going to. Oh, it's open to all riders, and uh, the barbecue is also free for all riders. Anyone who's not um, a military person, retired, or current, or family member, or um, first responder, there'll be um, a ten-dollar donation. For the barbecue, but um, it's free for all family members of first responders, military, and all riders. And um, it's going to start from the um, fire 
Fire Training Facility in Eugene, Eugene Springfield Fire Training Facility at 1705 West 2nd Avenue in Eugene. And that's also where the barbecue will be. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, and that's really great that the city of Eugene and the fire department are allowing you to use that that facility. Um, it's a really nice facility. I've I've attended meetings there um, in the past, uh, so that'll be a great place because there's a lot of outdoor space. Sounds like the weather is going to be good this weekend. Um, <clears throat> might be a little smoky. Who knows? Um, but uh, it's really great. Uh, and who all's kind of put this ride together? Is it just you and a, and a couple other people, or is there an organization involved? Well, um, Friends with Bikes. It's a, um, just a, a, a Christ, kind of a Christian group of bike, bike riders who um, uh, are – friend Dave, Dave Hall, he is a retired firefighter. And so this is kind of um, something he's been involved with um, since day one, since um, September 11th, 2001. So um, it's kind of his, his baby. And um, we really appreciate him doing this because this is something we don't ever want to forget. You know, we lost... We lost a lot of people, a lot of um, yeah, over, innocent people. Over 3,000 so people uh, that day. Yeah, remember, yeah. remember that one pretty well, too. Um, that was another bizarre day because I, I, you know, had a clock radio news kind of came on as I was waking up, and I, and I turned it off before I really listened, but sort of heard something about an airplane hitting a building. And was in New York and was thinking, oh, well, it's just, you know, some Piper Cub or something like that, you know, made a mistake. <laughs> yeah, wasn't really thinking about it. Drove, drove to work, you know, got to work and, and um, people were really acting weird and all that. But I was trying to be, be the good employee and keep my head down and keep working on the project I was working on there at eWeb. And next thing I know, they start pulling TV sets out. And I'm like, now this, and it was not just employees that were kind of buzzing around it was the management that was rolling the tv sets out and i'm like okay something's going on that i should be paying attention to and and, and just about that time the first building collapsed and and uh, saw that on tv um live and it was yeah thunderstruck would be the best way to describe the way i felt that day um but it's great you guys are having this memorial ride because do you realize that every kid in high school right now was born after 9-11 and they yeah, don't remember I know. that. that. That is hard. Yeah, that is hard to believe because it's such a date that, like you, it's just something that's just burned into my, my memory, something I'll never forget. And it's, it almost feels like yesterday. It's, it's that 20 years just doesn't feel like it. Yeah, yeah, I can remember, yeah, distinctly just everything that was happening that, that day at, at eWeb that morning, you know, and how weird how weird it was and, and how strange and everything, you know, where my desk was in the building at the time and, and you know, yeah, it was just, yeah, you, you're very um, vivid. My family was at Disneyland, um, 
my uh, ex-husband's birthday was September 10th, and uh, we had gone to Disneyland with uh, my son and all his family and his wife's family and our family, and that was the day we were supposed to go home was um, the 11th. And uh, my son and his family were leaving the hotel before we did because they were driving because they lived in Las Vegas. And so they left earlier, and we were up in our room still because we didn't fly out till later. And he called us from the lobby and said, Mom, you're not going home. You can't fly out. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? And he told us what happened. He said, turn on the TV, turn on the TV now, because they had it on downstairs in the lobby of the hotel. And uh, then he came back up, and I was glued to the television for the rest of the day, and we ended up uh, having to stay an extra day or two because, as you know, the airport didn't open back up, and uh, we ended up renting a car to come home. A lot of people were stranded all over the place. It was was like a day the earth stopped, you know. Yeah. My wife was actually in Washington, D.C. at a, at a uh, uh, convention uh, that in a hotel that overlooked the Pentagon on the Virginia side oh of, of the river. Yeah. And, and flew back September 10th. And her, she had mm-hmm. a couple of friends that stayed to tour D.C. an extra day or so, and they got stuck in D.C., in that hotel overlooking the Pentagon um, for for a while when the flights all got grounded and didn't get back for all, for a week or so. And, yeah, had, had to do the mad scramble, couldn't find rental cars, couldn't figure out how to get home um, and all. So, yeah, I, there's a lot of memories go along with 9-11. And, but probably the biggest one is just the fact that when everybody else was running away from those buildings, there were a lot of people that ran in, and that's the people exactly. we have to remember. And I think that your exactly. memorial ride is a great way of honoring that. So just to remind folks that that um, 9-11 Memorial Motorcycle Ride starts from um, the Eugene Fire Training Facility at 1705 West 2nd Avenue at noon. If if you're going to ride, you need to be there early for registration. The registration will start at 11, and there'll be a briefing at um, uh, for the riders at um, 11:30, and the ride will start at noon. And then um, it'll end up back at the same place, which is where the barbecue and the activities will be held for the family and um, friends. Great. And you guys are going up to Salem and back. Um, Yes, but uh, we're not going to go to um, the university as we had first um, planned on um, because of it being closed to the public. Um, So, but we're just going to ride through the smaller towns and and then circle back. It'll be kind of like a parade. There'll be a police escort, and then we'll end up back at the fire facility. So, just... There's a secondary traffic alert, folks, around noontime, if you're over there in the Chambers Connector neighborhood, you might be held up a little bit traffic-wise <laughs> for yes. a few minutes while they get, yes. get the line started. Um, yeah, if, if people don't know where that fire academy is, it's right 
near the base of the Chambers connector, um, just a couple blocks off of, of Chambers Street there on, on West 2nd. Um, so easy to find. Folks that want to ride should be there by 11 to register. Registration starts at 11, uh, reaching 11.30. Ride heads off at noon. Uh, so, and then we'll come back to the fire academy where they're going to have a barbecue. Um, and uh, barbecues. Uh, the barbecue is going to start around um, four. Around four o'clock will be when the barbecue starts. Around four, and um, okay. there will be a ceremony at six. A remembrance ceremony at six. There'll be um, some guest speakers there. So, so people, maybe not motorcycle riders, but they want to participate and want to just come to the barbecue oh, and the, yes. provide yes, ten dollar donation. Yeah. Yes. So, but free, up but free to all military families and all first responder families. It's free to uh, retired or current current duty. Yeah. So, Wanika, do you guys need any volunteers to help with this? On you know, to like at the barbecue or 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 you know, ushering people in the ride or anything like that. Well, um, actually, we have um, the sponsors, and um, it's going to be um, uh, Parties to Go is um, be there. And um, so there are some sponsors, and I think a lot of that's already been taken care of. But we do appreciate oh, that offer. Yeah. I, I'm sure that there are probably people out there wondering, you know, may, you know how can I help? Um, but it sounds like the best thing they could do is, is there are you know, still show some up. sponsorship spots available, and if anybody is oh. um, interested in sponsoring, uh, I could give you the number for Dave Hall. He's the person to contact for that, and sure. his number or, is five four one nine one three two three three eight. Great. Well. I really appreciate you calling in. I, I know that you're uh, probably out there in the woods somewhere with, with limited cell service, um, you know, and uh, that's why we jumped and put you on because I didn't want didn't want to lose you before we got a chance oh, to talk okay. about it. That's <laughs> okay. All right. One more well, time. Thank we'll you. And this Saturday on 9/11, there's a 20th anniversary memorial ride. Um, in Eugene, uh, up to Salem and back. Uh, need to be at the uh, fire training facility there on West 2nd around 11 o'clock to get registered. Yep. And then afterwards, and hopefully we'll see be... you there. Yep. Yep. Well, thank you very much for calling in, Monica. We'll I'll remind folks about that again later on in the show for you, and uh, we'll provide information for folks that might want to do a sponsorship. You need to call Dave Hall. We'll yes. get that number up on on our uh, Facebook page. Okay, well, thank, thank you, you so much. much. Really appreciate the information. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Bye-bye. You too. So I'm glad Juanica was able to get in because I, I was hoping to have her call. We had the, a lot of that information, but <clears throat> it's good to hear it straight from the per somebody involved with the organization because I would have messed up about the time starts and all that and needing to register and be there for the briefing, et cetera, for the riders. Um, but, you know, we need, we need to remember 9-11 um, and, you know, make sure that 
you know, these high school kids that are going to be graduating in this year of COVID and all that, remember also and understand, you know, what their parents remember very vividly. Um, so it's an important event. The actual ride, you know, it doesn't have a charge. The barbecue has a $10 suggested donation. Um, if folks want to get involved with sponsorship, uh, they can contact Dave Hall, and the number is 541-913-2338. Um, but, again, that starts uh, – the ride leaves at noon, but you have to be there around 11 to register at the uh, Eugene Fire Training Facility, 1705 West 2nd Avenue. <clears throat> Excuse me, a little uh, smoke caused frog in the throat, throat there. Um, and this is all being done by Friends with Bikes, um, you know, just a group of people uh, trying to put on a good event. And uh, the barbecue's around 4 o'clock back at the fire training facility. If you're not a motorcyclist and you just want to participate in that, you can show up at 4 uh, for the $10 donation. It's free to first responders and their families. Um, and military personnel. So, you know, those folks that want to show up, um, they don't have to pay the donation. And at 6 p.m., there'll be a remembrance um, with some guest speakers and all that. So um, sounds like it's going to be a, a really nice event and a nice way to keep the memory of 9-11 alive. And all those people, innocent people that lost their lives in the towers and the Pentagon and on, on the flight in Pennsylvania, and, uh, you know, all the first responders that chose to run towards a burning building rather than away from a burning building uh, that lost their lives. And the countless people that ended up with um, long-term health issues due to the, um, you know, the 9-11 syndrome, they called it, from the, all the various stuff that got thrown in the air as the buildings collapsed and burned. Um, that turned out to have long-term um, long health effects. So uh, sorry about that, folks. Forgot to mute the phone amongst all the other problems we had at the beginning of the show with modems uh, checking out. So uh, really appreciate Juanica calling in, and I hope people can make it to that event. But I'm going to get back to talking a little bit more about remembering the fire for a while, um, and we'll – Got a couple other subjects like the Horton Pond up there, uh, or what's also known as Holt Pond, um, and, BL, and the Bureau of Land Management um, looking to remove that dam and, and close it down. And they actually have um, a public input coming up on Thursday the 16th from 4 to 7, and I've posted about that on my commissioner's page. But I want to remind folks, Juanica called in to talk about what she wanted to talk about. You can do the same thing. Our number here is 646-721-9887. And just press 1 so Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, knows you want to talk and you're not just calling in to listen. So that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1 to get in on the show. But, you know, it was a year ago today that, you know, things were just becoming apparent of just the magnitude of the crisis that was all, we were we were immersed in at that time. We understood, you know, I went back and looked at some of my Facebook posts from that time period 
and I posted on the ninth that you know we were in a tragedy we haven't seen since the 30s. And the 30s is when the Tillamook burns happened uh, in a similar east wind event. Um, but we were looking at that time the the Holiday Farm fire, and they, had, they hadn't even really given it that name yet. Was 104,000 acres, and um, you know we're really um, yeah, and it was zero percent contained at that time. Three thousand homes had been evacuated at that point on on the 9th of September last year, two days after the fire. Um, you know, cell phone towers. We were we were hearing at that time you know, because we hadn't really been inside the fire that much. We're really concerned about loss of life. Turned out we only had one person pass away in that fire, which is an absolutely amazing credit to our our Lane County Sheriff's Department, all of our fire departments along there that, that just manned up and managed to get people notified and out of there, and the neighbors. There are stories of neighbors helping neighbors get out of their houses, you know, people, you know, that were wheelchair bound that were rescued by neighbors, you know, um, just incredible um, human story that happened there as they as they went through this. And uh, the fact that we only lost one person in our local fire, other people lost lives in some of the other fires around the area. But, you know, we were just starting to realize the devastation that happened in the town of Blue River. We, you know, we're pretty sure that most of the town had burned down. It took a couple of days before we found out that, that yes, indeed, the entire town of Blue River was basically gone, wiped off the map, basically by this fire. You know, it's just, and it was just, you know, it was kind of like 9/11. You know, everybody was just you know, dumbstruck by the, by the news and, and glued to the sources. And I, you know, for me, I was constantly, you know, trying to tune into the various briefings that were available to me as a commissioner that I was allowed to listen in on and, and, um, you know, through the internet, some of the ones I went attended in person, um, are, you know, whether it was the fire, um, ICS or Lane County's, ICS that we had stood up at the time, you know, going to those briefings and getting direct information, um, you know, going to the, the SAR Topo site that tracks fires, you know, by satellite image and all that stuff, tracking wind directions and, and tracking on the Purple Air site, you know, the air quality that was happening and, and you know, just you know, basically for almost three straight days, living and breathing that that, that emergency um, was just, uh, you know, a, just an incredible time. And, and, but the victims of that fire are the ones that were going through even worse hell. You know, they got evacuated and, you know, happened so fast, these people didn't get to bring basically the shirts on their back half a lot of them, um, you know, and, you know, of course, hotels were very limited capacity because we're in the middle of COVID. And so getting a hotel room was nearly impossible. And then, you know, not everyone even got out with anything to pay for a hotel room with. 
And so the Red Cross started standing up, and, of course, they were way behind the curve, you know, because they're used to standing up for maybe a house fire or a couple of houses or small small fire that evacuates, you know, a few people. It was 3,000 homes in Lane County that got evacuated. That doesn't include what happened in, you know, Clackamas County, Marion County, Lynn County, Douglas County, Jackson County, you know, and all the other counties that were, yeah. So Red Cross is overwhelmed and, and these, these fire victims, you know, are, you know, not being able to find housing and, and sleeping in cars. It was just, you know, a horrible time for them. You know, we, we stood up as fast as we could to get housing for them. Um, but we, uh, you know, and then of course, everyone wants to help. So then there, you know, people want to know where they could bring clothing and, and donations for all these people that got evacuated and a, you know, makeshift site sprung up at Springfield High School where so many donations were being piled up in the bleachers, it actually became dangerous for the volunteers. <laughs> you know, so, you know, that whole thing had to be coordinated and moved around several times. And, and it, it just, um, it's always amazing the way the people of Oregon and, and Lane County step up to help each other. But it, it almost became overwhelming in the people that wanted to help and trying to keep that organized, trying to find housing, um, and it just was a crazy time a year ago. And, you know, one of the interesting parts about being so involved was I got a lot of information that the general public doesn't get. And I got it a lot earlier than the general public gets it. So one of the things I felt the real necessity to do at the time was to try and feed as much good information out to the public as quickly as possible. And one of the ways I found to do that was Bill London at KPNW. Uh, you know, we're good friends and, you know, they, they're one of the first local news first thing in the morning, 6 a.m. Um, and, you know, do the hourly, hourly news all day long and half hour. So I made a point of feeding Bill London everything I could as quickly as I could. And I would get a once a day update from the fire incident command structure that would come in somewhere between one and 2 a.m. in the morning, somewhere after midnight. And I knew Bill gets into his office. Actually, he ended up spending the night in his office very much. So I would, I would wake up about two in the morning uh, those days and go and check my email and forward Bill all that information I was getting um, in overnight, so he'd have it ready to do his morning broadcast. And as I got stuff in during the day, I would feed it to Bill so he could change his half-hour newscast if he needed to. So it was really, um, you know, that was part of what I felt was important, was to get good information out into the public as quickly as possible. Uh, so people weren't running on rumors and, and we could fight rumors that were going around uh, and try and provide really good information to people. Because there's nothing worse than you, you're already pretty sure you may have lost your home. You're, you know, with your family in a car trying to find housing and you're getting rumors versus good information. 
so that's one of the things I really felt the responsibility to try and get out there as a commissioner was good information. And what's you know interesting is that I look at some of my posts. Within a week, rumors started flying around that these were all arson fires, and it was being blamed on various organizations, et cetera. And one of the things I was able to supply at least was, no, those rumors aren't true. We, you know, there, we, there aren't people in custody. There's no, you know, this is, this, that's not what's being suspected right now. And in fact, you know, I actually posted pictures of a friend of mine's place that was in that East One event, but was east of the ignition point um, up in the Cascades where almost every tree on his property had been uprooted and some of them twisted and torn down that were gigantic, you know, four and five foot diameter trees just twisted off 20 feet above the ground and all. Um, amazing force of the wind at the time. And folks that thought they, that that was all arson caused and some of the rumors about that were not helping <laughs> the situation. It was just, you know, creating a lot of stuff that didn't need to be there. And ultimately, we've learned that most of the fires were ignited by trees falling on power lines. And that's, you know, been determined, you know, as the likely source of ignition for many of the fires. Um, so that's that's part of just my memories. And, and, and But one year now past, my focus has been on doing whatever I could to make it easy for people to get back up river, get their houses rebuilt and recover and doing everything I can to make that an easy thing to happen. You know, from supporting legislation that waives some of the planning processes to fighting against, you know, floodplain ordinances at the county that would make it harder for people to rebuild up river. Just it was really something I felt was an important thing to, to take care of. Um, so that's kind of what I remember about the fire. And if you want to call in and talk about what you remember about the fire, what you remember about 9-11, 20 years later, 646-721-9887 is the number. And just press one so we know you want to get in on this show. Again, that's 646-721-9887. And uh, that's part of why I do the Bo's Nose Show. And if there's something else you want to talk about that's not about the, the Labor Day fires from a year ago or about 9-11 from 20 years ago or about Horton Pond, which I'm going to talk about next, um, you know, feel free to, to call in and talk about whatever it is you want to talk about on the Bo's Nose Show because that's part of why I do this show. You know, if you want to talk about something else, because I believe we'll probably touch on COVID a little bit here because it's in the news as, as everything else. Um, and, you know, talking about the 20th anniversary of 9-11, it's pretty hard not to think about Afghanistan in the same breath. So, um, yeah, that's really, uh, you know, a lot of what's on my mind today. But, you know, whatever's on your mind, if there's something else you want to call in about, that's why we have this show. Again, 646-721-9887. Just press 1 so we know you want to talk and not just call in to listen because we do have people that do that. 
So switching topics a little bit, um, I posted up on my West Lane County Commissioner page yesterday, yesterday um, when I got the notice uh, that BLM is seeking comments on the removal of the Holt Dam. And uh, this is BLM, the federal agency, Bureau of Land Management, not BLM, political movement, Black Lives Matter. Um, this is Bureau of Land Management. It's what I always used to think about when the BLM <laughs> was mentioned. It's changed. You know, so a lot of you young folks out there know I'm talking about a federal agency, the Bureau of Land Management, which manages federal lands that aren't part of the, our national forest or national park system. And uh, part of those lands are some lands that are up around Horton, uh, north of Triangle Lake uh, area, Blatchley, um, that were used to be a um, the old Holt Mill, and there was a a dam put in to create a mill pond there where they floated the logs before they ran them through the mill and all. And uh, when the mill shut down. Uh, that wall was contributed back to um, as public lands uh, and reverted back and, and ended up under BLM management. A lot of the land around that is now owned by the um, Confederated Tribes of Lower Umqua and Sayusla Indians, um, and they got that back as part of some of their restoration uh, lands. And uh, but the BLM is looking at actually removing this dam, and they're looking at removing it for for what they feel is a good reason, but I imagine a lot of the people that grew up going to that pond, um, you know, I've talked to people that learned to swim as kids in that pond, learned to fish there, have camped there, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's um, primitive camping up there, uh, it's, you know, very, you know, access is up a gravel road, so it's not one of those places that's, you know, real crowded. It's a nice spot, and it also acts as a helicopter dipping site for firefighting. So, you know, it's got some value as a, as a pond, but the dam is old. It is actually a high-hazard dam because if it does breach – and in a catastrophic breach, the the breach floodway, you know, they they have, and I've actually done these studies for dams before, for earthen dams, uh, when I was an engineer, because I used to design earthen dams as an engineer, and you have to go through a hazard class, you know, certification on them, and depending on, you know, what's downstream and in the breach floodway, how detailed that study gets, but they've done a breach floodway, um, you know, HECRAS analysis of, of this dam, and it turns out if it does breach catastrophically, there are residences downstream in the breach floodway that would be possibly washed away with loss of life, which that's how it gets its high hazard classification. And BLM isn't in the business of owning high hazard dams. I think they've only got one other in the entire, you know, portfolio of land that they manage across the U.S., and they manage millions of acres of land. So, you know, for them, they just, you know, getting rid of it is probably the easiest thing for them to do. 
But of course, anytime the federal government does anything, they've got to go through process, National Environmental Protection Act process, or NEPA. And part of that NEPA process is they got to go through public comment. And originally, keeping the dam was one of the options in that NEPA process. And a couple months back, BLM dropped that option from their list of options. And the only option they have now is dam removal. And what the options are is what happens to the property post-dam removal. Not whether the dam's getting removed or not. So that's one of the things you might, if you're interested in preserving that, that facility, might want to tell BLM about. But the input for that's coming up Thursday, September 16th, next week, 4 to 7 p.m. And uh, information about that is on my Westland County Commissioner page. There is a link there. And they do have a phone number included with that and an email and everything that people can um, call to get more information about how to provide input, or they can just email in input uh, to the uh, folks at the BLM team. Um, but that the, uh, you know, the concern for them is, you know, one, the high hazard, and then if they do keep it, then they have to make, do some fish passage improvements and some dam safety improvements, and they, you know, that's expensive for them. Um, you know, I always kind of wonder, you know, is there some possibility of working with the tribes maybe to take over the facility um, and maybe the Corps of Engineers to manage the dam who actually manages high hazard dams? Uh, you know, it, it seems like there ought to be some other solution than just removing the dam, you know, for what serves as a, a really nice recreational facility. And because everybody recreates up there, it's probably part of what keeps the Horton store in um, business, where it's the only place you can get gasoline for about 20 miles in any direction uh, from that point, at least almost 20 to 30 miles before you can find a place to get gasoline. Uh, so an important, um, <laughs> important little store for the community of, of Horton and the Blatchley Triangle Lake area. Um, you know, if they were cut off, you know, by say winter storms or you know the Cascadia subduction zone event, there's a place to get fuel possibly. Um, and as you watch, you know, Hurricane Ida stuff from New Orleans, you realize fuel is kind of important after a crisis. Uh, <laughs> you know, for those generators and everything else people need fuel for. So um, a lot of concern about that whole dam issue. And I, and I just hope folks um, let the Bureau of Land Management folks know about it. So again, if you go to my Jay Bozovich West Lane County Commissioner Facebook page, it's the second post down on the page. Um, and I think it's been shared around. Uh, it's also up on the Triangle Lake community page. Um, so please, uh, if you're one of these folks, maybe you might live in Junction City, you might even live in Eugene, but you remember Holt Pond or you've gone to Holt Pond or still go to Holt Pond. If you want it to stay, now's the time to speak up. And, you know, it's probably going to take, you know, getting uh, Congressman DeFazio and Senators Wyden and Merkley involved because it's probably going to take some money from the federal government to keep it. 
some, you know, as they're talking about this giant infrastructure bill or what to do with ARPA funds or something like that, here's an opportunity, you know, for that congressionally directed spending, as they like to call um, earmarks now. You know, maybe we could use a little, you know, the, the million dollars it might take to repair that dam and keep it in place and do the fish passage and then figure out maybe some kind of transition of ownership so BLM doesn't feel like they own something that they're not they're not in the business of taking care of. Maybe somebody else like the Corps of Engineers who's got the whole Willamette Valley project they're taking care of nearby might be somebody to take over management of the dam. Maybe the surrounding area could be, be brought under the tribe's uh, jurisdiction, seeing they own most of the property around that. There's got to be a better solution than just yank the dam out and talk about whether you want to make it into wetlands, whether there should be boardwalks there, hiking trails or camping spots. You know, I mean, that's, I mean, that's literally what they're asking people to choose the alternatives, what, what to do after we remove the dam. So your federal government at work need to be putting your input into BLM and you need to be talking to your federal delegation about it, contacting their offices, making sure they understand it's an issue. Because if they're not hearing about it, they're not aware about it. So don't forget that. As you communicate with the BLM, copy Congressman DeFazio, Senator Wyden, and Senator Merkley with your correspondence. So that's kind of what's happening locally here in Lane County that's kind of got some some uh, time-sensitive issues. It's not something we're looking back on that happened a year ago or that happened 20 years ago. That's something that's going to happen next week. And, uh, you know, they're supposed to... Uh, actually invite members of the public um, to this uh, open house, as they call it, to receive comment. So um, it's actually going to happen at the reservoir, at open house. So 4 to 7 p.m. up there at the whole pond. Going to be some traffic on that road. Hopefully the Horton store gets some business out of it. Oh, my. So with that, I want to just go back and remind people one more time, you know, as we're winding the show down in our last 10 minutes here or so, that there is this memorial ride coming up this Saturday. Again, that's maybe something that we're looking forward to, but it's actually looking back. Um, this Saturday on 9-11, Memorial Motorcycle Ride, starting in Eugene at the Fire Academy on West 2nd there, 1705 West 2nd. Registration opens up at 11 a.m. There will be a briefing for the riders at 11.30. The ride will leave the Fire Academy at noon. It will wind its way up to Salem and back and return. And at Four o'clock, there will be a barbecue, which has a $10 suggested donation for those that are not first responders or military. Those that are, it's free. And at 6 p.m., there will be a uh, remembrance of 
the 9-11 tragedies uh, with some guest speakers. And uh, you don't have to be a motorcyclist to participate. You can show up at 4 p.m. for the barbecue or at 6 p.m. for the remembrance. Um, and, I, you know, it's your opportunity to remember those lives lost, those 3,000 Americans that were killed by terrorists in the name of a religion. And I just still can't comprehend doing that. I just can't comprehend some of what I'm seeing from Afghanistan as women are losing their rights there, as the Taliban's taking back over. But uh, just tragedy unfolding after tragedy uh, when it comes to this this issue. Um, so just want to remind folks again, that's the 9-11 Memorial Motorcycle Ride this Saturday. Registration 11, Eugene Fire Academy on West 2nd, Ridley's at noon, barbecue at 4 p.m., open to the general public, $10 suggested donation, free to first responders and military, and uh, 6 p.m. remembrance ceremony there. So you can, if you don't want to go to the barbecue and you just want to show up at 6 p.m., a little bit before 6 p.m. for the remembrance part of the ceremony, I think it will be poignant. And... Uh, something worth doing this Saturday. And if you're interested in sponsoring, there's still some sponsorship opportunities, although they've got sponsors, that's how the barbecue is getting put on. You can contact Dave Hall with Friends with Bikes, and his number is 541-913-2338. We'll put that number and information about the ride up on the KRBN Internet uh, Facebook page after the show here. Um, so, uh, and Robin, is that an accurate statement? <laughs> that it is. And I think that'll actually work. Good. Yeah. I really appreciate that Juanica called in, um, for folks that don't know, Juanica drives a log truck. <laughs> so the fact that she had cell service and was able to call in was, is a near miracle. So, uh, really appreciate that she was able to call in. Really appreciate the work she does, too. One of the things people don't somewhat appreciate um, with the holiday farm fire, uh, the recent fires this year, is what the logging industry did during those fire events to fight the fires. A lot of the manpower that fought the holiday farm fire was private sector logging industry, people, and assets. The bulldozers that were cutting the fire lines, they're not owned by BLM or the Forest Service. They're owned by Weyerhaeuser and, you know, other timber companies. You know, a lot of the folks that man those fire lines are, you know, coming from those companies. And, and being paid for by those companies or even doing it on a volunteer basis. Um, and, and even, you know, this year's uh, fires, there's a, a very unique memorial uh, in the footprint of the bootleg fire, you know, that, that which is the largest fire so far this year in the U.S. That is a memorial to the folks that lost their lives to one of the Japanese balloon bombs 
in World War II and literally was the only people on the continental uh, U.S., you know, mainland U.S. that lost their lives during World War II to enemy fire. Um, and it just turned out that some folks that were out there stopped for a picnic and, and found a balloon bomb and it went off. Um, and there's a memorial off of a Forest Service road there that I've actually seen personally because I, I went, you know, doing the Oregon bike ride. Our bike ride went past it and we stopped there. Um, but that memorial was saved by a private logging crew that went there and, and cut line around it and protected it from burning up. So got to appreciate folks like Juanica and the whole logging industry for the the um, part they play in fighting fires and for the part they play in recovering from fires. The amount of time and, and effort spent in getting rid of hazard trees and the salvage logging that's gone on since those fires is pretty amazing. And, and it's just, um, you know, we can't forget that. And really one of the things we should remember is need to manage our force better to make them more resilient to fire. And one of the ways of doing that is actually using fire to prevent fire. We need to do a little bit better job of controlled burning and, and uh, letting fire, letting force be more natural and, and having less intense fires rather than um, and, and taking care of undergrowth and ladder fuels versus, you know, letting them just, you know, the leave them alone thing leads to overcrowded old forests with lots of fuel on the ground and ladder fuels, and they burn catastrophically, sometimes so hot that the soil actually gets, you know, uh, sterilized to a point where recovery is very long-term and difficult. Much better you know, and much better recovery if it's not as quite a hot of fire. I mean, fire has always been natural in our landscape, and the levels of fires have, have ebbed and flowed. We actually went through a fairly low fire period for quite a long time in the U.S. Uh, in the in the 60s, uh, and it's, you know, picked back up gradually starting in the late 70s um, as fire on, on and then as we stopped harvesting some of our lands and they became more susceptible to larger, more catastrophic fire. And US, USDA and the Forest Service took a, a stand back and let it burn policy for a lot of fire. Um, you know, things have changed somewhat, but people don't remember that in the 30s, we had massive catastrophic wildfire across a lot of Western US because we went through a very hot, dry decade in the Western US. Uh, and that's when the Tillamook burn happened. Uh, massive fires, fires that stopped because of the Pacific Ocean, not because somebody put them out. They burned down to the Pacific and then went out. So um, we all have to remember that our timber industry plays a role in prevention, you know, maintaining the road systems, allow us to fight fires, and uh, 
we just have to remember they also are there when we're fighting the fires and they're there when we're recovering from the fires. And anyone that was trying to build, rebuild up there in the last year knows what happened to timber prices. Part of that was COVID related. In fact, a lot of it was COVID related because a lot of plants had to back down production. Uh, fortunately, timber prices have fallen significantly. Some of the, that, that salvage harvest, you know, getting into the pipeline is part of what's doing that. Uh, you know, but hopefully we don't have to reduce our, you know, we're still having issues with trucking and, and distribution of timber and, and high-priced timber, but at least they're coming down. And I see Robin wants to jump in last minute or so here. What's up, Robin? Well, I just want to touch on COVID thing real quick here, because a lot of companies, including ours, are on October 18th are going to be requiring masks for employees. And I haven't heard whether or not uh, businesses are going to require them, or at least proof of vaccination. I also want to kind of uh, mention the importance of vaccinations, as I have recently lost two friends one granted was 80 years old and with health conditions and the other one uh, I don't know his age but he had health conditions and was not vaccinated and Jay you and I also have a friend that is in very serious condition right now so I'd like to just uh, have people think about it uh, think I know that uh, I was very hesitant since I went into anaphylactic shock a couple of years ago and was scared to death um, more scared than I ever been in my life about getting the shot, but it's kind of it's kind of catch twenty two. You got a bigger chance of getting the virus, or versus a smaller chance of actually having a severe reaction. So that's just kind of what I want to throw in there. Yeah, yeah, and I I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, you know, one of the things going on right now, and we didn't get to talk about today. We talked about some last week, is the whole idea of vaccine mandates which I don't support, but I strongly urge people to get vaccinated. It is a serious disease. Um, you know, I found out recently that my brother-in-law had had COVID um, and had to get temporarily hospitalized just to get fluids because he had, he had uh, gotten so dehydrated, it was causing him a lot of issues and he's got a pacemaker and heart issues. Um, fortunately, he survived, but he was, um, on edge and uh, to where my sister wouldn't go to sleep and was basically watching yeah, <laughs> watching him breathe you know, to see if he was going to keep breathing and all that stuff and whether she was contemplating rushing him off to the hospital or calling, the, you know, calling 911 constantly and she's a doctor you know, watching this go on so um, he was quite ill and four weeks out is still suffering uh, complications, you know, and, and tiredness and everything else. I have friends that still can't taste after a month. There's nothing worse than not being able to taste your food. Uh, so even the minor effects. But, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, we don't know the long-term effects of the vaccine. We do know one of the long-term effects of the disease, death. Financial ruin for some people. Thank you for listening to the Bose Nose Show. We'll be back next week with another edition live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Mm-hmm.